0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. We good? It's a little weaker than I, than I wanted, than I think Jesus wants. How y'all doing? We good? Good. All right. All right. Uh, well, as uh, Pastor Drew said, my name is Mike. Those of you who are new to our church, uh, man, it's good to be together. And I'm glad that you are uh, here with us. I do want to put just a little tag on what he said uh, about if you're new to our church, we would love to meet you. Uh, and so right after this service... Uh, just a brief kind of meet the staff over in the office pit. We got some fancy snacks for y'all. Uh, don't try to, so we know who you are if you've been coming to our church for like 17 years. <laughs> don't try to sneak in, all right? Don't try to put a mask on, like if you don't already have one on. Um, but if you're, if you're new to our church, uh, I'd love to meet you over there. Some of our staff would love to meet you. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our study of the gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in uh, verses 22 to 26. But before we dive into that question for you, just for you to think about. What is one of your favorite memories involving a meal? I wish I had more time to find out what that laughter is about. Uh, but, like, what's one of your favorite memories involving a meal? And there's probably different things that come to mind for different people. Some of y'all, I mean, I'm sure at some point you're, you, you thought about maybe some of the food that you had at that meal. Uh, I'm thinking right now uh, about some of the food that I just had recently that was amazing. Uh, We could talk about it and swap recommendations. Some of you think about the place. It's just a place that is just, you know, your favorite restaurant, whatever. My guess is for most people, when you thought about the answer to that question, your favorite memory involving a meal that you didn't just think about a meal, you didn't just think about the place. The reason it's one of your favorite memories is because of the people that you were enjoying that meal with. Now, when you think about your favorite memory involving a meal, uh, that it's not really just about the food. You know what I mean? It could have been like hot dogs. You know what I mean? Uh, some of y'all are like nope, no, 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 nope, not today. Uh, I get it. You too, boozy for hot dogs. I understand. Um, it could have been steak, it could have been whatever, but your favorite memory involving a meal is probably your favorite memory involving a meal because of the people that you were with. I'm looking out at Kate and Daniel McNeil, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering if there are times that come to your mind in Southeast Asia with people gathered around a table. Like we have those memories, and here's why, because it's just built into us, and you see it throughout ancient history, you see it throughout culture, that a meal is not just about food. But for most cultures, now we're in fast food kind of Western culture or whatever today, but it's still in most cultures around the world today, a meal is about not just food, but it's about fellowship. Fellowship, in fact. Uh, Dr. Barry Jones said this. He said, I'm convinced that one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us to recover in the kind of world in which we live is the discipline of table fellowship. In the fast paced tech text-saturated, attention-deficit-disordered culture in which we find ourselves, Christians need to recover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we care about. He says, such gatherings need not involve lavish spreads. They can, in fact, be quite simple. But they are those meals where we gather with guests and get a glimpse of the banquet of the kingdom of God to come. Those meals where we get a little foretaste of the shalom of God. The peace, the wholeness of God. And this is what you see as you read throughout the Gospels. That there were these, even as we've been studying the gospel of Mark, that there were these really significant moments in the life and ministry of Jesus around the table during a meal. So this is interactive. What are some of the meals, not the Lord's Supper, because we're going to talk about that in a minute, but what are some of the meals that come to your mind when you think about the gospels and you think about Jesus? Who did Jesus eat with? 5,000 right, the multiplying the loaves of bread and the fish and feeding 5,000 and having this meal with, it says 5,000, but if you add in women and children, it's probably more like 20,000 people. And it was this meal that was intentional because it was an opportunity for them to experience the power of the kingdom of God in the per- person of Jesus. What else? What other meals? Say it again. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that Jesus would actually go and go to Zacchaeus' house, have a meal with Zacchaeus who was hated by everybody in his community because as a tax collector, he worked for the oppressor. He worked for Rome. And he actually made a living off of taking advantage of his own people. Who else? Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Having a meal with Mary and Martha, you remember what happened there. Martha is freaking out. She's focused on all the details and everything. And Mary is taking that as an opportunity to commune with Jesus, to sit at Jesus' feet. Because when you're at a meal with Jesus, his presence is way more important than the place setting. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Matthew who was a tax collector called to be a disciple in the party that Jesus and his disciples had at Matthew's house with other tax collectors and sinners on and on and on throughout G- uh, throughout the gospels you see in the life and ministry of Jesus these significant moments that Jesus has with people over a meal you think about uh, what we studied earlier in mark chapter 14 where Jesus is having a meal with Simon uh, at Simon the Pharisee's house and there's a woman who comes in who has a scandalous reputation and she's been so impacted and changed by Jesus that she bows down in the middle of this banquet she's not even doesn't even belong in in the the middle of this scene and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears as an act of worship. These meals with Jesus are revealing something about the kingdom of God, revealing about uh, something about who Jesus is and the work that Jesus came to accomplish. And that's what we see in the passage that we're going to study in Mark chapter 14. Somebody mentioned the last supper. We're in that context. It's the last supper, this last meal that Jesus has before he goes to the cross, and we today call it the Lord's Supper for reasons that, about, that we'll talk about in a minute. Now, as we talked about last week, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, and they're gathered together in a borrowed upper guest room. They're celebrating the Passover meal. And the order of events in chapter 14 is important because Mark is intentionally emphasizing something here that should encourage all of us. Mark puts... Our passage, verses 22 to 26, uh, about the Lord's Supper, right in the middle of a broader narrative. And he does this a lot in his writing. Scholars call it an inclusio. Normal people call it a sandwich, right? So you read commentaries, they'll call it a Markin sandwich, right? This is a literary technique that Mark uses all the time throughout his gospel. And the reason it's called a sandwich is because the most important part of a sandwich is in the middle, right? You, you, you've, you've never walked up to the counter at a, at a restaurant and been like, hey, can I get a multigrain sandwich? Some of y'all are like, but that sounds good. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't sound good at all, right? You don't, say, you don't go to Panera and say, can I get a sourdough sandwich? It might be on multigrain bread. It might be on sourdough bread. But the most important part is in the middle. You ask for a turkey sandwich. You ask for a, a, a brisket, a slow-cooked barbecue marinated brisket sandwich, praise God, right? You order your little lettuce sandwich or whatever, your sprout sandwich, whatever you're doing these days to get your summer situation ready. You know what I'm saying? Um, The most important part is in the middle. So what Mark often does is he'll have a scene or something that will happen and then you skip a couple verses and something else that's very similar and then there's something in the middle, And it's intentional. So if you got your own copy of the Bible, just look and just scan through the headings in Mark chapter 14. And you'll see it in in our section here. Uh, Verses 14 to 21, which we studied last week, is about Judas's betrayal. We talked about that last week. And then this, uh, the, the section starting in verse 27, is about Peter's denial. And right in the middle of being betrayed by one of his disciples... And eventually being denied by one of his disciples, there's this astonishing moment of grace where Jesus offers himself to people that don't deserve his grace around a table in the context of a meal. So I want to read verses 22 to 25, and I also want to read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 because it sheds a little more light, a little bit of a different angle on our passage in Mark 14. Y'all Ready? We've already been here before. Y'all ready? All right, all right, all right. I'm I'm just going to keep bringing it out of you. Uh, Verse 22, let's pick it up in verse 22 here. So this is right after Jesus says, somebody, somebody shady, and somebody's going to betray me. That's not, he didn't say that, but he says somebody's going to betray me. And then, look, verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all uh, drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's verse 26. Now, several years later, the Apostle Paul recounts this teaching in his letter to the Corinthian church, and it's what I typically recite as I lead us and take in the Lord's Supper together. So I want to read that for us. We'll have it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26. Listen, Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Why don't you just take just a moment between you and the Lord, ask God to speak to you personally through his word before we dive in. Father, I'm excited about what you have planned for this word because your word always accomplishes what you send it forth to accomplish. And so Lord, would you not only speak to our hearts, but work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So we're talking about the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper is depending on what church tradition you grew up in, or if you didn't grow up in church, if you go visit a church, people refer to the Lord's Supper by several different names. Some people call the Lord's Supper communion. If you grew up in church, how many grew up calling it communion? Communion. which emphasizes not only our communion with God, but our communion with each other, which we'll talk about in in, in a minute. Other more kind of liturgical churches will refer to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist. Eucharist just comes from a Greek word that means thanksgiving. This is a thanksgiving meal. Um, And uh, and other uh, people will refer to the Lord's Supper uh, as the breaking of bread. So you see that, for example, in in the book of Acts. Um, And it's why it's confusing sometimes. You're reading through the the book of Acts, and it talks about them breaking bread, and you're like, are they just having dinner, or are they taking communion? And we'll talk about why that's confusing and how that's connected in a little bit, but people refer to the Lord's Supper by different names because it it emphasizes different things uh, from Scripture And it's cool, whatever you want to refer to the Lord's Supper as is fine with us. We tend to refer to it as the Lord's Supper or uh, communion. And what I want uh, us to talk about is kind of five dimensions of the Lord's Supper. Now, here's why I have been excited and prayerful about us talking about this, because I think for so many of us, especially if you grew up in church or you've been coming to church for a while, you've been a Christian for a while, the Lord's Supper can be something that we just, we do so casually, We don't even really think about it. It's like checking your phone or locking your door. You know, it's just something you do so often that it just becomes, it's automatic. You just kind of go through the motions. But there's something so profound, so significant about taking the Lord's Supper together. And I want us to unpack that together. Now, I'm going to spend most of our time on this first aspect of the Lord's Supper because it's the most foundational. I can't spend as long on this first one as I did at the 9 a.m. Uh, I will not look up at the tech booth. Um, but I want to walk through these uh, five kind of dimensions of the Lord's Supper. So number one, the Lord's Supper is a memorial meal, a memorial meal. Now, I don't mean a memorial like a funeral meal. I mean a memorial meal in the sense that we are to intentionally remember the sacrifice of Jesus at the Lord's Supper this is what Paul says explicitly in his letter to the Corinthians, that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, remember, Mark, we've talked about this. Mark is a shoot it straight, keep it short kind of guy. You know, so Mark doesn't include a lot of, there's a lot of details he doesn't include in his gospel. And so when you read Luke or you read John or even the Apostle Paul when he's commenting will include things that Jesus said that Mark doesn't necessarily include. And so Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And you got to remember the context that this is happening in. Jesus and his disciples are celebrating Passover together. And this was, uh, this was an annual holiday where Jews would come together in Jerusalem to remember and celebrate what God did during the Exodus. And so if you're new to the Bible, here's what they were celebrating. And you can read about this in the book of Exodus. Several thousand years earlier, their ancestors were suffering as slaves in Egypt. And God rescued them through a series of miraculous events. The most significant event is where we get the name Passover from. And this is where because Pharaoh is the king kind of a, of Egypt, he would not let God's people go. He wouldn't free them from slavery. He refused. He just wanted to use them for, for free labor. And so God actually pronounces a judgment of death on every household In Egypt, but spared the homes of those who expressed their faith in him by smearing the blood of a sacrificial lamb over their doorposts. You read about that in Exodus, where the angel of death passed over the homes of the people whose homes were covered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. They responded to God's instructions, to God's promise of deliverance in faith. And their home was covered in the blood of this sacrificial lamb. So God's judgment passed over those homes. And then uh, later on, so God frees them out of Egyptian slavery, and there's a bunch of stuff that happens. And then eventually, God leads his people, and he brings them to a mountain where they offered sacrifices for their sin. And notice the language that's used they're at this mountain, they've offered sacrifices for their sin. Exodus 24, verse 7, this is Moses. It says, Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood from the the sacrifices and threw it on the people. Praise the Lord. We don't do that today. Um, There's a whole story behind that, right? He threw it on the people and he said, Behold, The blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. In other words, Moses is saying God is establishing this covenant relationship with you. He's going to fulfill his promises through this covenant. And that covenant is being ratified by the blood of this sacrificial lamb. Now, this is the same language that Jesus uses in Mark 14. The blood of the covenant. And what Jesus is saying is that he's now establishing this new covenant and he's ratifying, securing, accomplishing that covenant through what would eventually be his own sacrificial blood. And then what's even more interesting is after this, Moses and the, other, and the elders of Israel, they go up to the top of the mountain and they have a meal in the presence of God. It literally says, Exodus 24, that they ate and drank in the presence of God. And so in generation after generation, God's people observed Passover once a year. We talked about this last week. And Jesus is in the midst of leading them through the Passover meal, which was an actual ceremony. There were four parts to it. You compare the different gospel accounts and you see that they've gone through the first part of the meal, which is this blessing to get everything started. And every part of the meal, the four parts, was separated by them passing a cup of wine. So there were four cups of wine that broke the, the Passover meal uh, apart into different sections. So they, would do, they did the first part, which was a blessing. They did the second part, which would have been a recounting of the Exodus narrative, remembering the fact that God had uh, uh, rescued them out of Egyptian slavery. And then before he gets to the third cup of wine, the third part of the ceremony, is when he just pauses. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. And there, that whole interaction there... And then he moves forward and he picks up the bread and he picks up the cup and the disciples are thinking, oh, he's about to pick back up with the rest of the Passover ceremony, which is to consecrate the different aspects, the different foods and ingredients of the Passover ceremony that symbolizes what God had done in the past. And instead, Jesus lifts the bread and he lifts the juice and he doesn't say this is the bread of the presence back in the tabernacle." He doesn't say this is the blood of the sacrificial lamb that was slain and covered the doorpost. He said, this bread is my body. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And that was crazy. That was crazy. We hear that when we take the Lord's Supper together and we don't realize how astonishing that would be. To the disciples, that what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, every redemptive act of God that you celebrate in your history, all the promises that God made in the old covenant, all of that has been moving forward throughout history to this very moment. Jesus is saying, all of that is being fulfilled and will be ultimately fulfilled in me. He's saying, I'm, I've come, I've come to bring forgiveness of sins through my blood. I've come to bring this new exodus, this new liberation from slavery to sin through my body that will be broken. I've come to make it possible for you and for many to come into a new covenant relationship with God where their sins are forgiven and their eternity is secure. And this is why I say this is a memorial meal, because when we come to this table to take the Lord's Supper together, we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, that our salvation and our freedom from sin and eternal life has been made possible through what Jesus did in his death, in our place for our sins, and ultimately in his resurrection from the dead. Now, when I say that we remember this, I don't just mean we remember it like we intellectually remember that it happened. I mean we, we remember this in the way that you remember somebody that you love but passed away. The reason why when somebody you love passes away, that you do every, you try to get as many much things as possible to remember them by you you might get some of their clothing or you might get pictures or videos or you might get your mom's like her her favorite bible or whatever it is the reason is because listen listen when you remember somebody that you love you are not just intellectually remembering that they existed what you are doing is you are actually remembering in a way them in a way that allows you to actually in some way experience them in the present. You're remembering them in a way that actually impacts you in the present. That's why it brings you joy. You laugh when you remember them. There may be some grief and some sadness in that too. But there's joy. They feel close to you as you remember them. It's a way of pulling the past into the present. And this is what it means to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not just that you remember intellectually that it happened, but it's you remember it in a way that it actually affects your heart and your life today. And here's why we need to do this. We need to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, not only because it helps us remember, oh, this is how we were saved, but because we need The gospel, the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us to have assurance and confidence today. It's why I say all the time that the gospel is not just the gate into the Christian life. It's the ground of the Christian life. It's like how we walk out the Christian life. It is on the foundation of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that's why we have to remind ourselves of it over and over and over again. Because listen, if you think your relationship with God is based on your own performance, then you will never have confidence and intimacy with God. Because you'll be like a Muslim or somebody in some other religious system where you never quite know. You're always just trying to make sure you do enough good works to hopefully outweigh your bad works and you're never gonna know until you actually stand before God. And all you, can, all you have is wistful thinking that somehow you've done enough to offset your bad deeds. But listen, the judge of the earth does not like weigh our good and our bad like that. No, he judges us according to his perfect standard of righteousness and every single one of us falls short of that standard. And so listen, if you come to church if you try to live out the christian life or have a relationship with god on the basis of whether or not you deserve it you'll never have the type of confident joy and intimacy with god that he desires you to have this is why some of you don't experience real intimacy with god because your faith your walk with god your relationship with god is not really built on the foundation The conscious awareness that everything that was necessary for you to be accepted by God has been done, that Jesus did it on the cross, that you don't bring anything to the table that would somehow cause you to earn salvation. You bring nothing to the... You're like my kids. They show up to the table with nothing. They ain't buy nothing. They ain't cook nothing. They didn't prepare anything. You don't bring anything to the table in a relationship with God. Jesus has brought everything to the table. He said, this is my body for you. This is my blood for you. This is what was necessary in order for me to invite you into this meal, this fellowship, this covenant relationship with me. So we remember what Jesus has done when we come to the table because it's the basis, it's the foundation, not just of our salvation, but of all of the Christian life, that it is all an overflow of the grace of God through Jesus. It's a memorial meal, but it's also a spiritual meal. I told you that first point was the longest point, it's a spiritual meal. Now, it may not seem like it, but this passage that we're studying has been one of the most controversial Bible passages in all of church history, and it all boils down to how you interpret one word. Jesus says it twice. This is my body, and this is my blood, and this is one of the things that led to the Protestant Reformation and the split from the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church has taught for centuries that Jesus is saying that the bread and the wine actually become, literally, physically transform into the body and blood of Jesus. This is a teaching called, big word, we'll put it up on the screen, transubstantiation. Come on, say that with me. Transubstantiation. That's not what I said. I don't know what word y'all just said made up. Transubstantiation. What? Let's say it together, transubstantiation. This is the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Not saying every Roman Catholic believes it or even is aware of it. This is the official teaching that that the elements of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper, literally become the body and blood of Jesus in some mysterious way. And I don't have time to dive into All of why we reject that and and, and believe Jesus would have rejected that. But I'll I'll say this, I'm preaching here today, Pastor David is preaching this same text from our Tyson's uh, location, other location pastors are preaching. Pastor David is focusing his entire message on this issue. And so if you're curious or you grew up with a Catholic background or have Catholic friends and you want to understand this more deeply, like why they teach this and why we reject that teaching and believe Jesus will reject that teaching, I would encourage you to listen to his message sometime later this week. But let me just point out one thing from this passage. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, he is saying it from his physical body with his blood actually coursing through his veins. There's nothing in scripture that would indicate that those elements change substance and become the body and the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean Jesus isn't present when we take the Lord's Supper together. And that's why I say the Lord's Supper is a spiritual meal. It's not just us. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's not only a physical thing where we take the elements together, but Jesus is present by his spirit. Now, let me give you this one verse, and I don't have time to unpack it all, but I want to ground this in Scripture for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul is addressing people who are tempted to participate in idolatry. And what he says to them is, listen, don't do that because, he says, idols aren't really anything. Like these religions where they have a statue and they're praying to it or making sacrifices, it's just a statue. It's just wood. It's just porcelain. It's whatever it is, Right? But he's saying, but there is something spiritual happening. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that when you participate in idolatry, there is a spiritual dimension that you may not even be aware of, and that you are actually engaging with demons, that you are engaging with demonic spiritual forces of evil. He's saying when you participate in idolatry, you are engaging in a spiritual realm and an actual spiritual presence, spiritual beings that are real. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 10. He says it's the same way in the Lord's Supper. He says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. What Paul is saying is that when we take the Lord's Supper, there is a spiritual dimension to the world that we live in. That we can't see with our senses, but we trust by faith that Jesus, when we gather as a church, y'all, we, not, we don't just gather to hear a band kill it. We don't just gather to hear some random dude preach a mediocre sermon. We don't just gather. When we gather as a church, there is a spiritual dimension to what's happening. And Jesus promises to be present with his people by his Holy Spirit. What that means is that Jesus is with us by his Spirit and he has plans to do some things. That he has plans to work in our midst as we gather in his presence. And when we come to the table, it's why Paul warns, don't take this casually. God is actually here with us, and he desires to bless us as we take the Lord's Supper together. He desires to take the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done for us, and he wants to work that down into our hearts by his spirit. It's as if when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus himself is saying to you by his spirit, listen, I know, I know the sin that you've done. I know what you've been struggling with. I know the grief that you're carrying. I know the suffering that's in your life that causes you to wonder, do I really love you? I know the doubts and the questions that you wrestle with. And don't you think I knew all of that before I went to the cross for you? He's saying, I know your sin, I know your struggles, I know your suffering, I know all of that. And he's like he's saying by his spirit to you, he's saying, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, but this is still my body for you. This is my blood for you. It's a spiritual meal where we actually get to commune with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God works in our hearts in a way that we can only receive by faith and we may not fully understand. It's a spiritual meal, but it's also a communal meal. A communal meal. When we think about the Lord's Supper today, we tend to think about uh, super somber reflective moment during a church service where we eat a piece of styrofoam and and take a lukewarm shot of grape juice Um, and that is exactly what's about to happen I apologize in advance Um, it's not actually styrofoam but you really can't tell the difference and there, there are historical and practical reasons most churches today practice the Lord's Supper in a church service environment like this. And I don't have time to get into all those, but in the early church, the Lord's Supper actually didn't happen in a formal church service like this. It was part of a community meal as people gathered in homes throughout their city. In fact, they called it a love feast or an agape. I know a love feast sounds a little sketch. Um, But they called it an, an agape feast. It was basically a weekly, in some cases, daily potluck meal, and they would observe the Lord's Supper during that meal. And listen, often it was the only real meal that poor slaves got to enjoy during the week. So it was a time of mutual fellowship, but also a way for the wealthy to share their resources with brothers and sisters in need. But here's what's happening in Corinth. This is the context of 1 Corinthians 11. Wealthy people started bringing their own meals, and since they were able to get there first, they just started going in. They just started eating and drinking, even to the point of getting drunk. And by the time their poor members of the church got there, most of the food was gone. And what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 11 is that you, this is not the Lord's Supper You are perpetuating and reinforcing the kind of injustice that we see in the broader Greco-Roman culture. The discrimination and the stratification of culture where slaves are kind of over here and they're devalued and they're completely separate. And then those who have resources and are wealthy and are free are over here and they deserve better treatment. He says, you're reinforcing that. Even in your religion. And Paul says those kinds of divisions and that kind of discrimination that should not exist at the table because you no longer look at that brother as they're just poor. No, that they're a brother. You no longer just look at women as women in the same way that culture saw them at that time, which is just subservient and basically property. No, that is not just a woman. It is a woman, like a legit woman, but it's not just a woman in the sense that culture understood it. No, this is a sister. This is a co-heir of the kingdom of God. And we all share the same inheritance because we've all received the same grace and we are now all a part of the same family. And so this is why I say it's a communal meal. It practically was a communal meal, but it also symbolized the type of relationship not just that they had with God, but that they had with each other. All these different kinds of people from all different walks of life. Can you imagine? Think about it. Think about all these different people that were coming to faith in Jesus now gathered around this same table in a way that was so subversive and countercultural that they would share not just food, but they were sharing fellowship together. And listen, when we come to the Lord's table to take the Lord's Supper together, it should remind us that we are not in this by ourselves; that there are brothers and sisters around us, who have received the same grace, they have the same need because they have the same sin and they've experienced the same salvation and they have the same future. And every single one of us in Christ, we have the same eternal inheritance through Jesus. But listen, it should also be this little thing we're about to do here, this little styrofoam we're about to take and this little whatever, it should also just be like a little appetizer, a, a, a little foretaste a a reminder of the type of community we are supposed to be that our relationships and our experience of community should not just exist on a sunday when we take a wafer in a little swig of juice together but this should actually be expression of the kind of life that we live throughout the week that we're actually involved in one another's lives that we actually prioritize one another We prioritize our relationships with one another. Why? Because we're actually brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, but I'm so busy in this DC culture. That's really the excuse that you want to use when you stand before God and He asks you, How did you participate and steward your relationships with your church family? Like, your excuses is really going to be like, Well, God, I mean, just DC, it's hustle and grind. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to look the same for all of us. But when we come to this table, it's not just this individualistic thing about me and my relationship with God, but it's about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And it should remind us that we are to be in real, authentic community with other brothers and sisters in Christ we don't hold grudges against one another and we offer forgiveness and we we are patient with one another and we show up and we make sacrifices for other people and we have more resources and they don't have what they need so we give some of our resources so they can just have what they need and we show up for one another it's a communal meal because we're a common family saved by the grace of Jesus and it's a missional meal The Lord's Supper is a missional meal. Remember in verse 24, Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for what? Poured out for many, for many. Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to die for many people. What he's saying is I'm, I'm not about to just die for this little small select few that are here in the upper room. He's, rep- he's saying what he already said in Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's what I mean when I say it's missional. Like you go back to family members that you've lost. And when you go to Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, it's, it's on everybody's mind that there's somebody missing. Maybe it's even somebody you lost. Maybe it was a family member or a friend, and it's just a broken relationship. Maybe because of just life, you know, and you guys have grown distant, or maybe there was some conflict that happened. And y'all don't have the same type of fellowship and relationship that you used to have, but when you go to that certain restaurant or you go again to that cookout or that whatever, it's on your minds. It's, man, that, somebody's missing. That relationship isn't the same. Listen, when we come to the Lord's table, we are not the only people on God's mind. When we come to the Lord's table, we should be reminded that there's somebody missing. that God created us to live in this world that he designed for us so that we'd enjoy a relationship with him. But because of sin, it fractured that relationship and it separated us from God. And by God's grace, there are some of us who have heard the gospel, the good news, that even though we deserve judgment, God sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins and he rose from the grave. And we've responded to that in faith and we've been saved and we experience his grace and we know this future that we have to look forward to. But there are some people some people in your family, in your neighborhood, people in your office, your school, people right here around us and people far from us, people in all places all over the world in people groups that maybe have never even heard the name of Jesus. There are people who have not heard or have not responded yet in faith to this good news of what Jesus has done. And so this table reminds us that there are more people that Jesus wants to save. And he's given us the honor to represent him and to spread that good news. Somebody's missing, y'all. There are people in Montgomery County that God wants to be around this table. And he wants them to be around his eternal table in his presence. And we get the joy of being reminded not only of what Jesus has done for us, but what Jesus has done for your next door neighbor. What Jesus has done for your son and your daughter that you're still praying for. What Jesus has done for people all over the world who have yet to receive that grace. And that leads us to this last thing. I'm going to use a big word here. The Lord's Supper is an eschatological meal. I know. I apologize. I usually don't like to use big words like that in sermons. I just couldn't figure out another one. Listen, eschatology is just... It comes from eschaton. It just has to do with like the end times, right? It's just talking about the future. It's an eschatological meal, meaning that when we come to this table, it reminds us of the future to come. And Jesus says that in verse 25. He says, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Here's what's happening, and this is where we'll land. Here's what's happening. Jesus is leading them through the Passover meal. They took the first cup after he had prayed a blessing. They took the second cup, and then he pauses abruptly, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Him and Judas kind of sort that out a little bit, and then Jesus moves on. And then he institutes what we call now the Lord's Supper, where he takes the bread and the juice that would have been a part of the Passover celebration. And he radically reinterprets that in light of the work that he's getting ready to do on the cross. He says, this is my body for you. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. That's the third cup. There's a fourth cup in the Passover celebration. And most scholars say Jesus refused to take that fourth cup. He says, because it's not, the work isn't done. He says, I'm not going to drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day after I die, after I rise, after I ascend. That day when I come back, because I'm not just coming back for the people in this room this upper room, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share this fourth cup with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. I'm going to share this last cup with every single person that I came to give my body and my blood for, and it won't just be the temporary cup. That runs dry and goes empty in the Passover. It'll be an eternal cup of joy, of blessing in this eternal feast that we get to enjoy in the presence of God forever. This is the hope, this is the promise of the gospel. That God, as Christina prayed earlier, is not, we're not gonna be waiting forever. We live in a fallen, broken world. Where we experience pain and we experience unfulfilled desires and unanswered prayers. And there's things in our lives that we just don't understand. And there are doubts and we want to believe and we're like, help my unbelief. And the doubt tortures us. And there's depression and there's anxiety and there's cancer and there's divorce. And there's all of the challenges that come with life on earth. And then there's the good things. There's the brisket. There's laughter, swimming pools and donuts. There's music and sunsets. There's wine or LaCroix or whatever you prefer as a festive beverage. Jesus is saying even the good things of this world are only previews of the goodness and mercy that will follow you all the days of your life, even on to the other side of the grave. The pain of this world reminds us that this world is not the way it's supposed to be and that there is one coming again to set all things right. And even the good and the joy of this world is reminding us. That there is more to come. Because in this life, meals end. Somebody got to wash the dishes. But the meal that Jesus came to offer, it will never end. It will never end. It is an eternal feast of his goodness and his mercy and his grace And it will only infinitely and exponentially get better because we can never exhaust the riches of his grace. And nothing in the world to come will bring us sorrow, which means everything in the world to come will only bring us joy. And that's the future that we have to look forward to. And that's what we are reminded of. It's this prophetic reality as we come to the table that there is more to come, that this is just a preview, it's a foretaste, it's an appetizer of the eternal goodness and mercy that we have waiting for us all the days of our life. And that can be your future. It can be your future if you've never made a decision to put your trust in Jesus. This is about way more than you becoming a Christian and you coming to church and you affiliating with a particular religion. This is about you finally finding and surrendering to the love of the one who made you and who knows your sin and knows what you deserve but said, I love you so much that I made a way for you to be restored to a relationship with me. so i want to give us a moment to respond and we're going to do what we just were reading about we're going to take the lord's supper together and here's how we're going to do this if you're here and you are not yet a follower of jesus we take the bread and we take the juice because it represents the body and blood of jesus that was sacrificed for us and so this is an act of faith for us that we trust in what jesus has done and so i would encourage you to just reflect as we uh, prepare to take the Lord's Supper together and if you're here and you are a Christian then I would encourage you if you didn't already um, once the band starts leading us in worship you can go to one of the tables around you and pick up the elements and just take it back to your seat and I'd encourage you to take some time maybe it's sitting maybe it's kneeling and just reflect maybe you need to confess some things in your relationship with God you can also stand and you can sing and celebrate as we just sing these lyrics that remind us of the work that Jesus has done for us, then after we spend some time in worship, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together before we close. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for the covenant relationship that you've made possible through the body and blood of Jesus. God, I know there's some people who are here where the the, the truth and reality of the gospel, it just still, still hasn't clicked. Something hasn't locked into place that would truly draw their hearts to trust you and fully surrender to you. But Lord, I pray that it would lock into place today. that they would turn from sin and trust in what Jesus has done and they would begin a new relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have done that, that you minister to our hearts now by your spirit as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.